0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers have signed not one, but two wide receivers. Is everybody happy now? Well, probably not, but I think they might actually have a point. Then let's try to talk smartly about the offensive line. It's harder than you might think. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode very excited for this one, not just because of what we're talking about, but because of something you might be able to hear right now. Thanks to some generous listener support and more than a year of saving, uh, I was able to make some upgrades to the podcast studio this weekend, and I will be giving a brief tour. Once everything is a little bit more photogenic uh, to our, our Patreon supporters, who are one of the main drivers of of this, this reworked situation here. Um, but it it feels great. We got a new microphone. We got a new mixer. Got some new headphones even. Uh, did a little bit more soundproofing in the the place where I do the recording. So, feeling pretty good about it. Um, and hopefully it sounds good. Uh, we couldn't do this without uh, the the financial support of, of our listeners, but also just your support in general. Uh, because you're the reason we do this. And if, if you weren't supporting it, we, there would be no reason to continue to upgrade the the whole deal here. So, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your continued support of Blue Fifty Eight, and and we're excited about this season that seems to be lurching ever closer. And as it does, it looks like the Packers are going to have a couple new additions at wide receiver. Now, these are not the additions I think people were hoping for. These are not the additions I would have been hoping for. But let's talk about Travis Fulgham and Malik Turner before we get to the overall picture here. Now, Fulgham is a real person, I promise. A sixth-round pick by the Lions last year, 6'2", 215-ish. Boy, does Brian Gudekunst love himself a big-bodied wide receiver. You watch Fulgham move, he looks a little bit like Alan Lazard. Not a ton of deep speed here, four-five-eight in the 40-yard dash, but a really good three-cone at his pro day, six-eight-four. very good for a guy his size. Pro Football Focus says he was their top-graded run-blocking wide receiver irrespective of snaps, so just across all receivers, he would have had the highest grade had he been eligible based on the number of snaps that he had, but that's the problem. He only played 63 snaps last year for the Lions. He did play an additional 26 snaps on special teams, but this guy is is pretty untested on the active roster for 14 games last year for the Lions, but only got into three. Malik Turner is much the same. 6'2", 206 pounds, not really much of a burner either. The Packers had him in for a visit late last week. Brian Gudekunst hinted at the fact that they were probably going to be signing him in his press conference on Monday because he said, hey, we can't really have people in for a visit if we're not planning on signing them." So that's exactly what happened here. So the Packers make a second addition at wide receiver in as many days. Uh, Turner, like Fulgham, not much of a burner, did actually play some significant snaps with the Seahawks last year, 15 catches, 245 yards, and a touchdown. Interestingly, Turner had six of what we categorize as explosive plays in 15 catches. That's catches of 16 yards or more um, on a single play. Obviously, you can only have uh, one catch on, on a play, uh, but uh, six of them went for 16 or more yards out of the 15 catches he had last year. Additionally, Turner played 170 snaps on special teams' For the Seahawks last year, something you shouldn't discount as you go to make your roster projections this year. That is going to be a factor. Here's the deal, though. Neither of these guys are going to be competing for time at the top end of the Packers' depth chart. At best, you're probably looking at a number five wide receiver here. If you figure the Packers' receiving core goes some order of Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and then a group of MVS, Equinemius, St. Brown, and Jake Kummerow, if you're counting heads, it's it's getting pretty close after that to the bottom, the very, very bottom of the depth chart. And that's been pretty much the case with every wide receiver acquisition the Packers have made outside of Devin Funches And if you are inclined to criticize Brian Gutekunst for the way that he's handled the the wide receiver position, I think you might have a point. We could sit here and say that the Packers believe in their wide receiver core all day, but that doesn't mean that these receivers are any good. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're productive either. By my count, since he's taken over, Brian Gudekunst has acquired 17 different wide receivers. You want the full list, here is the full list. Start to finish in the Brian Gutekunst era, here's what we've got. Jermon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, his three draft picks in 2018. Adonis Jennings and Kyle Lewis, two undrafted free agents in 2018. Two free agent pickups in Tio Redding and Alan Lazard in 2018. And that'll do it for that calendar year. In 2019, he's got two undrafted free agents in Matthew Eaton and Darius Shepard. He claimed Ja'Will Davis on waivers and signed Malik Taylor and Keon Hatcher, and Ryan Grant missed one in there, so we're up to, to 19 now, uh, as free agents during the 2019 season. This year so far, he's brought in Reggie Bagleton, Devin Funches, Daryl Stewart, Travis Fulgham, and Malik Turner. All right. Grand total between those 18... Wide receivers. They have combined for 124 catches, 1,861 yards, and seven touchdowns. Taking out the five that he's brought on so far doesn't improve that average a whole lot. The point is this: the guys that Brian Gutekunst have brought has brought in have not been dis- difference maker. And you can start splitting hairs and saying, Equanimee Saint Brown you know, was hurt last year. They're going for a more run-based offense. That is all true. However, there's another significant component here. Just take a look at what the wide receiver core was when Gudekunst took over. January 2018, right after the 2017 season. So Ted Thompson announces he's going to be stepping down on New Year's Day 2018. Brian gets Brian Gudekunst gets the job a couple weeks later. Here is the wide receiver core that he has. Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, Geronimo Allison, Trevor Davis, Michael Clark, Jeff Janis. He's also got uh, Jake Kumaro in there because he signed to a reserve slash futures contract on January 2nd. There was one other low-level receiver in there. But basically, that's the group that he's got. Today, counting the free agent signings that the Packers have made this week and the waiver claim, one was is, one is a waiver claim, you've got Adams, Lazard, MVS, Kumaro, Equanimeous St. Brown. Bagleton, Shepard, Taylor, Stewart, Falgum, and Turner. See, one big problem there. Well, two big problems, actually. Those two problems are named Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson. Not that they should still be on the Packers, but the Packers simply have not replaced their production since they've gone. In fact, in the two seasons that they have combined played away from the Packers, Cobb and Nelson have been productive as all 18 of the receivers that Brian Gutekunst has signed to try to fill their void combined. Between the two of them, in the two seasons they've played away from the Packers, Jordy Nelson with the Raiders in 2018 and Randall Cobb with the Cowboys last year, they combined for 118 catches for 1,567 yards and six touchdowns. It's only six fewer catches, around 300 fewer yards, and one fewer touchdown. That's a lot of production from just two guys. And that's a lot of production that the Packers haven't replaced. And given what we've talked about in the past, about the Packers not really emphasizing wide receiver a whole lot, you could, you could defend them a little bit, but still, it doesn't seem like the talent pool has been replenished at wide receiver and that's pretty frustrating to see even if you believe that some of the guys the packers have are good or underrated or whatever the packers just haven't simply have not put together a whole lot of resources to try to replenish their receiver group they have not spent very much in terms of capital on the group and if that's frustrating to you i think you have a legitimate point i think you can like the receivers that the packers have and still be frustrated about the state of the receiver group. I think that's a legitimate position to hold. Two things can be true at the same time, as we so frequently say. You can be high on guys like Alan Lazard and believe in the potential of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and believe that Equinemia St. Brown is going to bounce back this year and also think that the Packers should have done more to upgrade their receiver group. I think that's pretty fair. Let's talk about the offensive line. We've been going position group by position group through the Packers roster, and we have arrived at the offensive line. I told you earlier this year, I think pre-pandemic, that it was one of my goals for this offseason to learn more about the offensive line, and it is hard. It's hard. I think a lot of us have sort of an intuitive understanding of how quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers are supposed to work. If you play any amount of football with pads, two-hand touch flag football, the things that you do are going to be those kinds of things. And there is a lot more one-to-one understanding about it when it comes to just being a fan, goofing around in your backyard. That's not to say you understand it at an NFL level or anything approximating what an NFL receiver or running back or quarterback is supposed to be doing on a given play. But just simply, I think that people have a more intuitive understanding of how those position works. And it's a lot easier to watch them and see how it works. They all have counting stats that you can take a look at and get your arms around. I I don't think that's a super controversial position. To just say, you kind of get an idea what these things are supposed to be like. Offensive line, and to a lesser extent, defensive line, is a whole different animal. To that end, this piece by Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders. Recently started up an email newsletter. I would highly recommend checking it out. I have a link to this piece in your show notes. I think it is worth taking a look at just because you get an idea of the crushing level of intricacy in regards to strategy that goes on on both the offensive lines and defensive lines. This piece is titled Backside 2-I Versus One Tech Against Outside Zone. There are about 10,000 moving parts on every NFL rushing play, and Derek goes through almost all of them in this piece. Here is a quote from the first paragraph, quote, Toward the back end of the 2018 season and into the 2019 season, defenses began plowing, deploying more 2-eye defensive tackles as opposed to the traditional 1-tech or 0-tech nose guards. More specifically, defenses tried to set up that 2-eye opposite of where the Rams' outside zone runs would go. Some teams, such as the Bears and Lions, attempted to run mirrored fronts with this alignment, setting both tackles at 2-eye positions. End quote. Now, I follow most of that. And if you followed along with our read through take your eye off the ball, you probably got most of it too, but I got to go slow. And this is not even about the offensive line. We're not talking about reach blocks or combo blocks or anything like that. This is hard stuff and it's not intuitive stuff. But if the goal of this whole podcast is to try to help you become a smarter Packers fan and smarter football fan, we got to talk about the offensive line. So how do we do that? been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days as I prepared for this show. And I think the best place to start, if we're not going to talk about scheme-wide stuff, and this is an entirely different ball of wax, I think the best place to start is with individuals. Why? For a couple of reasons. First, I think you might be able to get a sense of what the Packers are doing overall if you look at these guys individually and how they fit together. And that'll give us an, an idea of why they're doing that and also an idea of where the weak spots might be. So doing that, what can we learn about the Packers' offensive line as a whole? Well, first and foremost, I think it's still abundantly clear that the Packers are looking for elite-level athletes even among the offensive line. Among the 14 or so offensive linemen that the Packers have on their roster right now, six qualify as elite athletes by relative athletic score. Those six are Elton Jenkins, Corey Linsley, Lucas Patrick, John Runyon, Cody Conway, and Yash Nyman. Among the starters, Lindsley and Jenkins are the only ones who qualify as elite, but David Bakhtiari is just outside that range, as is Billy Turner. The real weak spot there athletically is Rick Wagner. He comes in at a 5.24. That shows us there is a potential weak spot right there, but also it shows us where there might be an opportunity for somebody to make a name for themselves. First, because the Packers don't have an obvious swing tackle to step in behind Turner or behind Wagner, and I I don't even count Billy Turner there because I think given what we've seen from him on the interior, there'd be reason to be skeptical about him stepping in and doing a a bang-up job on the outside. But secondly, beyond Turner, there really is nobody else out there. Alex Light, maybe. Jared Veld here on speed dial, There are opportunities there, and who would be next off the bench Two potentially elite athletes in Cody Conway and Yash Nyman? My colleague at Acme Packing Company pointed out that Yash Nyman, who is absolutely enormous, by the way, at 6'7", closer to 6'8", might be the best overall athlete on the Packers, and it's easy to see where he's coming from. 9.81 relative athletic score, good explosion numbers, just a good all-around athlete, If he can put together any semblance of skill on the offensive line, there might be an opportunity for him to push for some playing time, at least an opportunity as that first tackle off the bench. Same goes for Conway, who we've talked about as a roster sleeper before, played a ton, a ton of snaps at Syracuse, uh, and then just got hurt in his first training camp with the Titans very very good athlete, a lot of experience playing in a passing system. It seems like he should have pass blocking on lock and is an excellent athlete. So there is an opportunity there. So there we've got a couple couple of hits in our our rubric. We see what the Packers are doing, they're looking for athletes and we see where some weak spots might be. Tackle is a real weak spot. We can also digging into these guys' bios see that the Packers still believe in the tackle-to-guard pipeline, that terminology I've used before. So the Packers did something unusual this year, and they acquired three guys who project almost exclusively as interior linemen. John Runyon, some people thought he might still be a tackle in the NFL, but Cody Conway and Zach Johnson, excuse me, not Cody Conway, Jake Hansen and Zach Johnson, all or both exclusively project as interior offensive linemen. So does Simon Stepaniak, who played there at uh, at Indiana. But I mention Runyon, Hanson, and Johnson specifically because they all, at some point in their past, even going back to high school, have been tackles at some point. The Packers love to take college tackles specifically, but I guess high school tackles in this in this instance as well, and turn them into offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen. Why is that? Well, it circles back to that athleticism aspect. If they figure if you're a good enough athlete to play in space on the edge of the line, they figure they can bump you inside, and your athleticism combined with the the ability to play kind of in a phone booth, like the offensive line coaches say, will allow you to use that that, that athleticism to overwhelm opposing interior defensive linemen as well as pick up. Linebackers when they blitz or operate in space on a screenplay, things like that. You can see what they're thinking, and you can still see that they believe that. Finally, I think it's important to look at any numbers we might have re- relating to offensive line stats and, and try to get as much value out of them as we can. Last year, we started tracking a number that I referred to as pass, P-A-S-S-S, penalties and sacks, in starters, snaps. Now I'm just going to start calling it penalties and sacks per 65. Basically a figure that uh, if you want to get sort of a normalized figure for how a guy is performing, you should take the amount of penalties and sacks he is charged with and normalize that per 65 snaps because that's about as many as an average starting offensive lineman will play per game over the course of an entire season. What does that number tell us about the 20 19 Packers. Well, it shows us that David Bakhtiari had one of his worst seasons in a while. He had a per 65 rate for penalties and sacks of 1.03. That's his worst season since at least 2015. It's Twice as many as he gave up in all of 2018. Gave up a lot of penalties, especially earlier in the year, and as many sacks as he did in 2018. He, between penalties and sacks, David sacks not snacks sacks. Bakhtiari gave up 17 total, had 17 totals, 13 penalties, four sacks in 1,075 snaps. That was the worst on the Packers last year. Rick Wagner would have been the second worst on the 2019 Packers. In 753 snaps, he was penalized twice and gave up six sacks. It's a rate of 0.69 per 65. Brian Bulaga. Um just a hair better than that. He gave up three and a half sacks and was penalized five times in eight hundred and ninety-eight snaps. This number is not perfect, but it gives us a starting point. And we'll be taking a look at it again over the course of the uh the 2020 season. You gotta be careful here though, because it, it can be a little bit misleading sometimes, depending on what outlet you you work with. So for instance, according to Scouts Inc. or Stats Inc., Billy Turner gave up just three sacks last year, three and a half sacks. But according to Sports Information Solutions, he gave up 10. No small difference there. So we just got to decide which of those databases we're going with. I'm leaning towards Sports Information Solutions, quite honestly, just because their information's a little bit more accessible. The point will be consistency. And we just got to track that over time and, and try to give you a, a, the best kind of overview of where guys are going um, as it relates to their career as a whole. Generally, I would say I'm probably more bullish on the Packers offensive line than most, but I get less confident the farther to the the right on the offensive line we go. In fact, once you get past Corey Lindsley, I'm it can be downright scary at times there. I would say I'm, I'm far from sold on either Turner or Wagner. It's nice that they have Lane Taylor still around, but I, I if you're counting on any of those guys to go the full 16 and be really solid starters, I think history would show that maybe that is a little bit misguided and maybe uh, a little bit too too hopeful. But... At least the Packers have options there. And with Lucas Patrick there waiting in the wings as well, they should at least, again, have options on the right side of the offensive line. Maybe Lucas Patrick just ends up as the full-time starter at right guard at some point this season, and that stabilizes that side of the line a little bit more. It'll be interesting to watch, especially um, once we decide whether or not we're going to get a season at all. But that, as always, remains a conversation for a different day. That's all I've got for you for this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. Thank you so much for your support. I hope you are staying safe wherever you are. And if you listened to this episode and thought it helpful and valuable, I would appreciate it if you would share it with somebody you think would benefit from it as well because that's going to help us grow the tent, continue this conversation around the Packers, and ultimately help everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.